This is Let's See What Happens, a free-form discussion to talk about anything and everything. If you don't want to be offended, don't listen. If you do want to be offended, there's a good chance you will be. I hope you like this one. Let's see what happens. Hello, everybody. Good evening. It is Tuesday night, and we are going for WTF Wednesday, episode number five. Only got four questions this week, not because there weren't more questions, but just because I only have enough time to really do four tonight. Um, Thank you guys for the questions. Uh, Some of the questions I'm getting, I apologize for not answering because... To be completely honest, I'm not sure how my job would uh, would handle some of these questions. They're very amusing. Uh, I would very much enjoy answering them. I do not, however, think that uh, my employer might want me answering some of these questions. So I'm actually looking into... Uh, any policies that might restrict me in answering those questions. And hopefully, if I don't find any issues, I will be happy to answer those questions at a later date. Um, That being said, let's get into the questions for this week. Question number one, are the police too militarized? Sorry, are the police too militarized these days? Um, So for this question, I kind of... I was thinking about it, and the reality is, in regards to what the police are, in a form, they are military. I know people don't really like to hear that. They don't want to hear that their police are militarized. But in the grand scheme of things, if you look at the command chain, the structure in the sense of discipline and respect, as well as what their ultimate what our ultimate job is entailing, which is service to the community. Uh, Granted, soldiers do that service overseas to defend our country. Uh, I think the argument could be made that police are doing the exact same thing, but on the home front. And unfortunately, it's even harder because we're having to mitigate uh, different threats as well as solve different problems for people within our own country. So Americans on American crime, as well as Americans, unfortunately, on law enforcement crime, and we're kind of having to play this space of the in-between. People have been up in arms about this thin blue line nonsense, but let me clarify something. The thin blue line, besides the fact of being like this crazy logo that has gotten out of hand to where it used to be only people in law enforcement really understood it and knew what it was, now it's been promoted to the umph with shirts and flags and bracelets and watches and rings and glasses and just everything, everything and anything. And I have no problem with supporting law enforcement because obviously I'm in law enforcement. I I really do appreciate those people that also support us. Uh, That being said, it's not always the greatest idea as a law enforcement officer to, on your off time, 
and this is my personal opinion, to be walking around with thin blue line stuff, especially all over you. Uh, especially if you're out with your family, not a great call. Just not a smart move in the current environment. And some people are like, I'm proud of what I do and, you know, who I protect. And I'm not going to change that and, you know, hide that. And I'm not telling you to hide it. I, I know a lot of veterans that aren't, you know, rocking their dress blues or their, you know, their medals or their tabs or whatever it is they have everywhere. Now, that being said, there are guys that wear USMC shirts and Air Force shirts. And I, hey, I am fully supportive of that. And I would be proud as hell if I was a veteran as well. And I totally encourage people to do so if they want to. I'm saying for me, I don't know if I'd be out just flaunting that when I have my family around because sometimes uh, that might make you a little bit of a target. Something to consider. But uh, sorry, I got off track. The whole militarized thing. I Again, I think that the reason people don't like this term is uh, history. They look at history and they see the militarization of past countries that has, it has turned bad or the situation has gone poorly. Uh, Russia, Germany, there's several South American countries where, again, the police are the military or the military is the police, I should say. And it, it doesn't always go well because the military is more controlled by the government. And so if you have a messed up government, which some might argue that we're already in that position, that's neither here nor there. But uh, I could see how it could get out of hand. 100% agree with that. Uh, the part that gets me about people getting upset about the militarized police force uh, the whole, like, being against armored vehicles, um, us having automatic rifles. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of other things that people don't like to see in regards to comparing the two. But the reality is we have to get that stuff to stay, at the very least, on par with what we're dealing with. Uh, a lot of times we're not even ahead of the game. We're playing catch-up because... As much as people may not like seeing cops where, and I'm thinking mainly in regards to like SWAT teams, they may not like seeing cops wearing these big heavy vests and helmets and having automatic rifles and climbing into armored vehicles like Bearcats. And they, it upsets them because they think that that's militarizing police. The reality is, is I would say the, the structure of law enforcement in the regards to like in our in our particular um, case you know the command structure you know you've got sergeants and lieutenants and captains and majors and colonels and sheriffs and even in police it go it goes up the same way and then you have captains and then assistant chiefs and chiefs and all that stuff it's the same type of structure as the military the military is doing pretty good for us in the sense of protecting us. I, I don't know if it's a bad thing to compare us to them. I don't know why people get so upset about that stuff because of the simple fact that we're just trying to keep up with the capabilities of what we're dealing with. Unfortunately, Joe Schmo civilian can also own ballistic helmets, ballistic vests, automatic rifles, uh, armor Absolutely, they can armor their vehicle. They could, I, 
I don't remember where it was. I'm sure it was in California where the guy's driving the armored dump truck that he had welded and was just plowing down whatever, Santa Monica Boulevard or wherever it was. It was somewhere out in California. And I mean, shooting it off, he was shooting a weapon out of the, it wasn't quite a turret, but he's shooting that. And then there was the, the guy that did the same thing with a bobcat. I, listen, here's the reality. We have to meet the standard of <clears throat> those we're potentially going against. So that being said, if they have, it wouldn't make sense. You're not going to take a knife to a, a gunfight. You're not going to, it makes no sense to take a pistol to fight a rifle, like an automatic rifle. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not a fair fight. You see that firsthand when you watch some of these videos of what's going on in New York right now where these people, they still have the weapons and the cops, their rifles have been taken. They're even some of, in some instances, their shotguns have been taken and it, it's just, it's not a fair fight. Not to say a shotgun is a fair fight against a rifle anyways. It's just, it's not. But uh, people want to tie our hands, but then the first ones to gripe and want us to respond to help save them from this horrific incident that may have occurred because the general population has access to this stuff. I should make a, a note that this is not me saying, oh, well, the public shouldn't have those guns and then we wouldn't need those guns. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying... The cat's out of the bag already. All right, we're not going to be able we're not going to be able to put Pandora back in the box. It's out there. It's what we have to deal with. It's the world we live in. So, I don't think the police are too militarized. I think that it's a requirement for the world that we live in. So, if you're asking if I think the police are militarized, I do. However, I don't think it's in the same way that people get upset about. Just mainly because. I'm in the system and I understand how it works, so it's a little bit different, but uh, it doesn't make sense to me for some of the reasons that I have heard people getting upset. If someone wants to hit me up with a follow-up question regarding that to be a little bit more specific of what they mean by that, I'd be happy to answer it. But that's how I feel about that particular issue is that I don't think the police are too militarized. I think they're militarized to the point of what they need to be at to meet the threats that they're dealing with. All right, question number two. Tell us about your worst tapping experience in your MMA days. Okay, I should probably elaborate on my, kind of like I did last episode or a couple episodes again, a couple episodes ago when I was discussing my law enforcement career. Uh, so my, if you want to call it MMA career, it was very short-lived if it was even a career at all. It was more of just like training MMA. But uh, I've been doing jiu-jitsu now since 2007-ish. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm currently a purple belt. I have obviously had some gaps in training, unfortunately, as most jiu-jitsu practitioners can relate to. Uh, kids wife, life, they come up. Unfortunately for me, when I first started train not unfortunately, I'm sorry. When I first started training, I started training near where I live and I was going there. It was a judo and jujitsu place. And there were a couple guys there that did some MMA fights. And I kind of got a little bit of experience with that initially. But then 
what ended up happening was I moved to Tampa to go to school up there. I was going to USF and I found a great uh, gym called Gracie Tampa and they're still around today. They're uh, Rob Kahn, first American black belt under Hoist Gracie. A lot of, lot of amazing, amazing fighters have come out of that gym, uh, gone on to the UFC. Uh, black belts that have started their own jiu-jitsu gym. There's, I don't even know how many there are now. There's Gracie South, there's Gracie Palm Harbor, there's Gracie Brandon, Gracie Bradington, Gracie St. Pete. There's tons, Gracie Fishhook. Like, there's tons of Gracies now that are, whatever you want to call them, sister schools of Gracie Tampa. Uh, they have some really high caliber both fighters and jujitsu guys at these schools. So I was training there quite a bit from about 2008 to, eh, it was probably actually like late 2007 to 2009-ish when I moved back home. So it it wasn't a very long time, but the time that I was there, I kind of dropped out of school to be training basically full-time. So probably not the best decision in the terms of society saying, you know, go to school, get a degree. I was, I was not big in the whole school thing. I already had my associates and I got very distracted at USF, both with drinking as well as training jujitsu and MMA. I was able to train with several of the guys that went on to be on the UFC house like in the UFC house and stuff so I got a lot of experience with that but uh, in regards to my worst tapping experience in MMA it would probably have to be my one and only MMA fight that I was at actual fighting in the cage in front of a bunch of people and what happened to give a little backstory is a good buddy of mine that used to live in Palm Harbor and went to school with me in Tampa, uh, we would go over to his parents' house a lot of time to hang out, go out on the boat, drink, just have a good old time. Well, Friday night, we drove over there one night, hung out. We, in, in college, we basically, we always drank like it was gonna be the last day we ever drank. So we were drinking heavily, as college students will do, and you know, we ended up crashing out, whatever, and staying the night. The next day, I was driving back to Tampa, back back to my apartment. And a good friend of mine uh, who runs Gracie St. Pete, Gabe, he's awesome. Check him out, Gracie St. Pete. And uh, he calls me up. And at the time, he was training for a cage fight. I believe it was with RFC. And he called me up and he goes, hey, man, uh, can you spar later? And I was kind of on the, what you might call like the bench of guys that the actual fighters would use as warm bodies to come in and give, or warm bodies, fresh bodies to come in and basically be a rotation round robin style of them getting a fresh guy every round to spar with and do whether it was jujitsu or MMA or kickboxing, what have you, but just so they could have a cycle of fresh bodies 
when they were getting ready for a fight. So I had gotten to the level to where I was able to be on that list. So it wasn't uncommon for guys to call me up and be like, hey, are you available this afternoon? We're gonna do a little private sparring session, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. He calls me up. I was super hungover, super, super hungover. Was not feeling good at all. Was already considering just going home and going straight to bed. And he calls me up and he says, hey, you wanna spar? this afternoon. And I said, I don't know, man, I'm pretty hungover. I'm not feeling great. And he goes, let me rephrase that. Do you want to spar in front of like 2000 people at 98 rock fest? Uh, 98 rock fest was a large, I don't want to say arena. Cause it was out, it was near Raymond James stadium, but it was an, a big, a big music concert of like a bunch of bands, like a big concert with a bunch of bands. And they had set up a cage, RFC had, to like promote the upcoming fights. And, he, and I said, I looked at this as like an opportunity. Like, hell yeah, I want to fight in front of 2,000 people. That sounds great. And I was like, all right, man, I'll, I'll call you when I get home. And we'll go from there. And he goes, okay. And I immediately pulled into a Target, went in the bathroom, and yacked my brains out. Just threw up. Hardcore. Thinking, okay, this will help. Uh, I then drove probably the, another, you know, 40 minutes, got back to my apartment, started chugging water, threw up again, uh, then started chugging water again to try to replenish what I had just lost. My buddy calls me and says, Hey, I'm on my way over to pick you up. Okay. So get changed. I'm still trying to drink some water, trying to get hydrated, feeling like crap. Uh, I'm sure anyone that's done enough drinking I know what it feels like when someone, when that hangover is like, there's a ball peen hammer inside your head, just going back and forth, back and forth. That's what it felt like inside my head. Plus I had already thrown up, not feeling, you know, super great, but luckily I think I'd gotten most of the, it out. So I didn't really have anything in me but water at this point. Well, I don't remember what month it was, but we're in Southwest Florida. It's hot basically all the time. Well, it was hot there and it was an outside venue. So this cage is sitting out in the middle of this basically tailgating area of Raymond James. And uh, there were all of 2000 people, if not more there. And uh, they had set up the cage to where they put those, like the concert barriers, those metal barriers you see that run along the, the roads and stuff to block things off. They put it around the cage, but it was close enough people could like reach and almost touched the cage. I mean, if the, if there was, I don't even think they were five feet off of the cage at all. Like literally someone with some big orangutan arms like mine could almost reach and touch the stage or the cage just from outside those barriers. So what ends up happening is I show up with my buddy. He's talking to the promoter of RFC and they're like, hey, thanks for coming guys, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I'm trying to keep it together because my head is pounding so bad. I mean, I'm very hungover. And uh, he's like, thanks for coming over and do some light sparring. You know, kind of give people a little taste so that hopefully they want to come to the fights. Cool, that's great. Well, this cage is sitting out in the middle of this field in the hot Florida sun, and no one had the bright idea to cover it in any way. It's just sitting out there baking. So the first two guys that went up to do this quote unquote sparring session, go onto the, go onto the cage floor and you could tell that it was hot. Well, you know, they're fighters. They don't care. They're in front of a crowd. They're going to do it up. Well, 
No one informed the crowd that this was a sparring session, more or less. All these people thought they just got a concert to watch and a free cage fight right there amongst the crowd. They just, they're like, hell yeah. And a bunch, obviously there's some drinking going on. People started to get a little rambunctious as they will when they're drinking and on top of that watching fights, anyone that's ever been to any venue restaurant to watch UFC fights, you'll hear every tap out affliction shirt wearing son of a bitch talk mad smack like they're the next Conor McGregor and they could have done it better. Those people were all in the crowd. All right. They were all of them. It was almost like they got all the people that wanted to come to that concert and they were like, Hey, are you a douchebag? Um, tap out affliction shirt wearing son of a bitch come to this and watch this cage match. That's what it seemed like from the outside perspective. I could be wrong, but anyways, they're watching this sparring session. And of course some booze start emitting, uh, some, some yelling, uh, to fight harder. Some beers starting getting tossed at the cage. If anybody remembers that scene in uh, roadhouse where Patrick Swayze first shows up, to the double deuce and they're chucking beer bottles at the chicken wire and it's smashing and stuff. The only difference was there wasn't beer bottles. They were smart, at least smart enough not to do that. It was cups and stuff, but it didn't stop the beer from splashing into the cage, which probably hindsight the the fighters were probably happy to have something cool to stand on because when those guys came out after like a round of, again, quote unquote sparring, came out, they had like blisters burnt on the bottom of their feet. It was that hot. And they're like, wear socks. Like, wear something on your feet when you go in there. Well, obviously, we didn't. I didn't have socks. I had worn flip-flops. My buddy, I think, was wearing sandals of some kind. So he didn't have socks. So we scrounged up some socks from people. I think the promoter might have given us some because he said, listen, guys, they're pretty upset. The crowd, that is. Is there any chance you guys would be able be willing to do, like, a real fight. And my buddy, who again, has been training for an MMA fight, his first one, looks at me and like, are you good, man? And again, trying not to be a big pussy, I said, yeah, I'm good, man. Let's do it. Like, I didn't want to affect his upcoming fight, his promotion deal with RFC by being like, no, there's no way I'm doing a real fight. Because I should... I should also tell you that Gabe has been doing kickboxing since he was like seven. Uh, at the time, I believe he was just a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, but he was a legit blue belt under Rob Khan. Like he, he was all around badass. Like he was very, very well-rounded fighter. So I told him, yes, absolutely. I'll do that for you. Let's do it. And we go in there and right away I realize oh, wow, when me and Gabe train together, he's just toying with me when we're training. He's a lot better than me because he started peppering me with these combinations. And I, I don't recall how long it took, but uh, I will say we weren't getting any booze and we weren't getting any beer thrown at us. So that was good. However, when Gabe did like a spinning heel kick, caught me right in the sternum, Dropped me like a bag of hammers. I hit the ground so hard. 
Uh, some cheers erupted from the crowd. He jumps on my back, starts, so he, as he's punching me, mind you, he says, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I said, it's fine, just keep going. So he's beating on me and starts transitioning to my back. He rolls me, he rolls me to the side, kind of windshield wipers me to the side to try to get my back. I go to turn into him. He transitions into an arm bar. I immediately tap. He gets the win. The crowd goes crazy. It was a it was it couldn't have been longer than a a couple of minutes. And I was just so thankful that I did not throw up in that cage. And granted, this was before everybody had a phone camera, but enough people did have their phones out and were recording it that my my victory was the not throwing up in the cage. So I am completely okay with that. I did get tapped out. It happens. Um, but uh, that wasn't my last MMA experience because of that. That was just the only time I was ever actually able to get in the cage and fight in front of a bunch of people just because the way it worked up there, you either you train until basically Rob says you're ready to go in. And I unfortunately never reached that level. But uh, it was a good experience nonetheless. Gabe went on to win his first fight and I think two more before he had his first loss, but he, he's a badass. Um, check him out, like I said, at Gracie, uh, Gracie St. Pete. Um, all right, sorry, that was a long one. I'm, I'm trying to keep these to like five minutes a question and I'm definitely getting a little over that. So number three, advice for kids in the police academy right now. Oh, if they're already in the academy, is it too late to transfer to the fire academy? That would be my first piece of advice. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if you are able to get out, like if you aren't going to lose any money, get out. Don't don't do it. The police, yes, we need good people, but it's not fair to do that to someone who's just starting out. There's so many other opportunities out there. I understand if you want to serve and protect, maybe look at the military. Look into the military. Uh at least then only people outside of your country hate you. I, I, that's, that's probably something in the positive, positive column. But uh, if you're already in it and you're locked in, you're like, no, I want to be a cop. I've always wanted to be a cop. I'm going to be a cop. And you're in the academy right now. My best advice for you, if you're not already doing so, find a gym to go train jujitsu. All right, I know this is probably beating a dead horse for anyone that listens to this, but I highly, 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 highly recommend learning jujitsu, okay? As a law enforcement officer, it will benefit you extremely well. Mainly not to be using it on people though. That's, that's the part that's so crazy that people fail to realize is it's not the use of it so much as it is what it does for your mental stability, all right? When you start to lessen your fear of getting into a physical altercation because you know you can handle yourself, you're that much more likely to not get in a physical altercation. It's very hard to explain for those that don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm telling you right now, and it's not cockiness or arrogance at all, it's literally comfortability 
being comfortable with your skills and abilities to know that you can handle a situation if shit pops off, all right? If you don't want to do jujitsu, at the very least, find a boxing gym, a kickboxing gym, like a legit one that's going to teach you some skills. And I'm not saying go in there and spar and beat the crap out of yourselves, but go in there, get some punches in, get punched a few times. Don't just hit a heavy bag. Don't just do five rounds on a heavy bag. As much as it may seem important to be able to throw punches, it's just as important to be able to read someone's body language to tell you they're going to throw a punch. All right. And then if you aren't quick enough and you get caught off guard and you get punched by someone, first off, in most cases, they don't throw a punch correctly. All right. Secondly, if they land it, it's probably not going to be in the best spot or the spot that they had thought. And thirdly, it's going to make you realize that when you do get punched in real life, it's not that bad. It's, it's not necessarily that bad. All right. Don't get me wrong. There's outliers where they can freaking rock you. But that being said, you're not as fragile you, or you realize you're not as fragile as you may think, all right? The human body is crazy impressive what it can take. Doing a combat sport, you start to learn and realize, oh, I'm not, I'm not unbreakable, but I'm not so fragile either, all right? You find a nice happy medium of comfort with that. So if you, that is, that is hands down the best advice I think I can give any kid in the police academy, all right? Because everything else I'm going to say to you, another cop is going to say to you or an instructor is going to say to you. And a lot of times, unfortunately, it's going to be in one ear and out the other because you're young in most cases and you, are, you don't have the life experience yet. So once you get the life experience, that'll help you figure the rest out. But I'm telling you right now as for your own mental and physical abilities to improve them and make yourself a better person as well as a better law enforcement officer, go learn jujitsu, go learn boxing, go learn kickboxing, go do judo. Any of those that I just listed, great, great, great for being a law enforcement officer. All right. Because like I said, it's not about the beating you can dole out about the beating you can take or the realization of what a beating feels like very humbling makes you not so quick to get into an altercation out on the street because guess what's not on the street mats there's not mats on the ground all right you ask any cop that's been a cop for a while and when you ask them how they've been hurt because they've all been hurt especially when they go hands-on with someone i would be willing to bet high 90 percent tile range have been hurt not by the bad guy, but by falling, cracking their knee on the cement, cracking their hand on the cement, or falling into something, a pillar, a car, a tree, whatever it is, it's the surrounding environment that ends up jacking you up worse, all right? So if you can avoid the physical altercation altogether, great. One of the best ways of doing that is having confidence in your abilities to where you don't have to prove to anybody that you're Billy Badass. All right, so go out, train, find somewhere near you. There's plenty of places out there. Make sure that their their reputation is on the up and up because there's a lot of phonies out there, all right? Um, do your research and get into a good place and better yourself, okay? Question number four, last one for today. Have you ever used BJJ at work? Okay, kind of feeding off the last question. Perfect. Uh, Yes, 
several times. The only thing is, is a lot of times it's like a variation of jujitsu. I've never full on been in a straight up street fight with a suspect and rocked out an arm bar or a triangle. It's just, that's never happened to me. I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of law enforcement officers that it has happened to, but it hasn't happened to me. Uh, The things that I've used jujitsu for, again, kind of referring back to the last question, are the way in which I position myself and get into a non-compromising situation because I'm reading someone's body language or I'm queuing up on, oh, hey, they move this way, I'm gonna turn this way. So a lot of that is just almost sub, subconsciously reading the suspect without even realizing that I'm doing it. Uh, the, but the best, I think one of the better instances that I actually got to use it, and it was, I mean, not trying to toot my own horn, but it could have been a training video, how smooth it was, all right? It was that clean. It was something simple. It was literally a disturbance at a restaurant. I think it was a Carabas. It might have been an Olive Garden. I don't know. It was an Italian food place. It wasn't in my zone, but it was a zone over for me. Uh, I responded. Get there. They meet me at the door. They say, hey, this lady's here. She's been here like three times this week. She hasn't paid for any of her meals. We're not trying to get any money from her. We just want her to leave. She hasn't, we haven't allowed her to order anything. She sat herself. We told her she can't come in. She sat herself. We want her out. We want her trespassed. That's it. That's all we want. We want her off the property. Gone. Cool. No charges. This is a pretty, for any cop out there, you're listening, you're going, oh, this is a pretty easy open and shut deal. You just ask the person to leave most of the time and you give them a trespass warning. It's not, it's not, it's really nothing. Um, so I make my way over and it's whatever. It was right off Siesta Key. It was probably like, oh, I was working. So it was, it was after six. So, I mean, there was a dinner crowd, you know, it was Carabas or Olive Garden, whatever it was. So there were quite a few people. And uh, this lady sitting in a booth by herself, basically pouting because they were refusing to serve her. And when I say lady, I'm guessing she was probably mid forties. All right. So not an old lady, not a young girl, just a lady. I walk up to her. I say, hey, how you doing tonight, ma'am? I'm Deputy McBride. And she says, these people are refusing to serve me. And I said, yeah, I understand that. Why don't we step outside and we'll discuss it a little further? She says, no, I'm not going anywhere until I get my food. And I said, well, as you just said, ma'am, they're not going to serve you. So why don't we step outside? And we can have a conversation about this. That way we don't disturb anybody else while they're eating. Of course, half the restaurant's already looking because I'm sure before I got there, there was already a slight disturbance between the hostess, the server, the manager with this lady. But now they see a cop walk in. They're all watching, right? I said, ma'am, please just come outside. We'll talk about it and we'll see what we can do for you, okay? I'm trying to be as polite and cordial as possible. This lady's just not having it. And that's what a lot of people seem to fail to realize is we, like as law enforcement, at least in my case, I'm always polite to people. I don't, like, I I don't get anything from being a dick to these people. So I try to handle it as amicably as possible. So 
I asked her again, can you please step out here for me? No, I want to eat some food. I want them to take my order. I said, That's, I said, you know what? I think we got off to the wrong foot. What's your name? My name's Karen. And I don't know if that's her name. I just think it's very, it's a very good person to call Karen. She goes, my name's Karen. I said, hi, Karen. I'm deputy with this. And I reached my hand out as I'm saying this, giving her my hand, like to shake my hand. And as soon as, and I don't even think she really meant to do this because I don't know if you ever have seen this happen, but sometimes when you just put your hand out to shake someone's hand, not now because of COVID nonsense, everyone wants to fist bump or bump elbows, whatever the hell that is. But uh, you stick your hand out like to shake someone's hand. They almost instinctually stick their hand out to shake your hand. It's, it's like a reflex in most adults. So as she did that, I literally just slid forward into the booth and I folded her hand in and grabbed the back of her elbow to create a wrist lock. And she instantly just, ah, and I, I said, come with me, come with me, come with me. And I'm pulling on the back of her elbow. I've got her wrist bent forward with my hand and I'm pulling it towards my stomach. So she's, we're basically bladed towards each other, except that her, the back of her hand is flat against my chest. My hand's on the back of her elbow and I'm just basically pulling her out. So it was just a simple wrist lock. Again, this, someone might try to argue, well, you probably learned that and you could have learned that in the academy. Absolutely. But the smoothness in which I did it, it was literally like a nice arm drag, right? Into a wrist lock. And the best part about it though is not only did she come out of the booth, because I was, I was able to slowly apply that pressure. I, was, I had that control because of jujitsu. I understood how much pressure and when to put it on, when not to put it on. She wasn't screaming. She wasn't shrieking. She could have been. She could have been one of those idiots that just started screaming for no reason. But I was like, come with me, come with me. And I literally walked her backwards out the door, all right? And we got outside, and the waitress being on it brought her purse out, handed it to me. I said, and she's like, I can't believe you did that. And I said, listen, ma'am, you were being noncompliant with my commands, and you were being trespassed from this property, okay? So you need to realize that you're not allowed to come back. And I explained the whole thing to her. But the best part about it was, is she wasn't hurt. I didn't break her wrist, all right? It was a, it was a simple joint manipulation. I brought her outside. Guess what? I trespassed her. She left. No one went to jail. No one got beat up. No one got hurt. She was hurt in the moment. But I guarantee you, half an hour later, if not less, her wrist was perfectly fine. Like I didn't jam her so bad that she was, you know, she had to go seek medical help. All right. I did my reports, documented everything. And guess what? Never heard a thing about it because it wasn't a big deal. But that's because the having done the jujitsu for so long, it was almost a reflex for me to do it in that moment because I was so used to doing that arm drag motion from doing jujitsu. So that was probably one of the smoothest times I ever used jujitsu at work, but there have been other times I've used it, uh, obviously in the jail quite a few times, and it wasn't, wasn't as smooth, but it was still very helpful to have it, and I highly recommend anyone do it. All right, that's it. I know I went long on those questions. I'm glad we only had four because... I knew it was going to probably take me a little longer to answer some of those. So I want to thank you guys so much for listening. 
please continue to listen, rate, review, subscribe, and just know that potentially next week I'll be having a guest on. If our if the stars align and our schedules line up perfectly, there will be a guest next week and potentially actually it might be two next week, not at the same time, and then one the following week, hopefully, all right, if they're not both next week. So fingers crossed that everybody's schedule works out and we can get them on here. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't want to get anyone excited about it and then it fall through. So just continue to listen and thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it.